0: through forty-two and and what we're seeing this morning is what is called the the great commandments. The great commandment love God and love your neighbor. And so what's going on in this passage today is that Jesus is being tested. (laughs) Uh, Jesus is being tested. He's being tested by a, a lawyer. This this lawyer wants to Trick Jesus. He wants to catch Jesus um, in a, a trap. Little does this lawyer know that this is the Son of God, and so what Jesus does is he actually flips the test on its head and tests the lawyer. And what we are seeing is this answer to the most important question to life. How do I inherit eternal life? That's the most important question of life. How do I inherit eternal life? There are so many answers to that question, is there not? So many answers. But what we see is God Himself answer that question for us. So what I'm going to do is I would like to read for us I'm going to then pray for us, and then let's dive into this passage. Starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to get him, uh, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him to her house. And he said, And and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to then help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Father, would you please allow your word to, to change our hearts. Far too often we, we, we come to passages like this. And what we try to do is we, we just try to get little nuggets of information. Use this passage to change our hearts. Use this passage to reveal yourself to us. You haven't created us to just stay the same. You have created us to look like your son Jesus. And so what I ask is that you would protect me this morning from saying anything that I shouldn't and that you would speak through me and that you would open up the ears of the listeners this morning, that you would soften our hearts to what your truth has to say for us. I pray this in your son Jesus' name who is worthy of all honor, power, and glory. Amen. Are we to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or are we to love our neighbor? Are they mutually exclusive or are they somehow intertwined so intimately? Now, if you were to ask a group of people, I'm sure we would get varying answers. In in fact, while I was studying for this passage this past Thursday, I was sitting at the Starbucks over on, on Northland. And as I was sitting there reading this passage over and over, there were two college students sitting right next to me and I just thought to myself, here, why don't I just ask? (laughs) So what I did is I took out my headphones, I was listening to some music and I looked at them and I just said, excuse me. You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church, and I'm going to be preaching on Sunday on this passage. I don't know if you believe or where you stand, but I would just like to ask you a couple of questions about this, this passage. And so these two young women, who, who one was going to med school in Chicago, um, the other one was just her friend hanging out with her, said, Sure, why not? And I asked them the question, if how do you inherit eternal life? Now, uh, the, the reply that I got was, was that they were super Catholics. I had never met a super Catholic in my life before until Thursday. Um, and so I, I just had asked them, how do you inherit eternal life? And, and they went on. We, we had a great discussion. And then I asked them this question. If Jesus says right here... That if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, and he said to to this lawyer, if you do this, then you will live. How many people do you think will actually inherit eternal life if they obey this? And their answers were interesting. In fact, one of the, the young women had said, well, I think there are a lot of cafeteria Catholics. And I was kind of puzzled by that. And I said, well, what is that? And she said, well, it's Catholics that just like to pick and choose what they want to believe. Now, I don't think that's just a Catholic thing. Let me be straightforward with, with that. And so then I asked them, so which one do you think... Um, which one do you think that, that most people do? And immediately, without a doubt without hesitation in their mind, what they say is, well, well, we see people loving God pretty good because it's pretty easy just to know things about God. Um, like, like, like we see people going to church. We see people um, taking the Lord's Supper. We see people going to confession and confessing their sins. But we don't really see people loving their neighbor that much. In, in fact, we see people just judging their neighbors a lot. Now, I wonder if If you can relate to that at all. See, on the flip side, if you were to ask other people, they would say, well, I just need to serve. I need to serve the way that I love God and I show God that I love him is just by serving. You see, it's our, it's our natural human tendency to lean to one side or the other. It's easy for some to say, well, I'm just going to intellectually love God. And if I just show up to church on Sunday, if I attend Bible studies, if I, if I pray, if I ask for forgiveness and I'm showing God I love him. But loving my neighbor is a little more difficult because it makes me just a tad bit uncomfortable. But on the other side, for others you will say, well, I just really love to serve people and that's how I show people I, I love God and I'm not the brightest person and I don't remember God's word that well and I just really don't have that much time. So it's easier for me just to serve and not love God and, and grow in my relationship with Him. We all have tendencies to one side or the other and this is our, our human nature. Our human nature pushes back against one or the other. We're far too comfortable with with one or the other. But see, what our passage is telling us this morning is what? Our passage is telling us this morning that if you want to inherit eternal life, then you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. We come to verses 25 through 28. And we see this, this lawyer. The, uh, the lawyer in here isn't what we know as a lawyer. The lawyer here was, um, could also be known as a scribe. It was somebody who knew the law of God like the back of their hand. Most likely, um, this lawyer would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. The whole entire first five books they would have had in their memory. They would have been able to recite it at any time. And so this, this lawyer stands up to ask, to test Jesus. And asks the most important question in life. Jesus, how do you inherit eternal life? Jesus, flipping the, the question, then asks him, Well, what does, what does the scripture say? What is written in the law? I love how Jesus points him to the Bible. You want to know how to get eternal life? It's in the Bible. It's in the law. It's written there. And so this lawyer answers him. He answers him in two ways. The first way is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's taking that directly from Deuteronomy 6, 5. And then he goes on to say, to love your neighbor as yourself, which he then is pulling from Leviticus 19.18. This lawyer has answered this question perfectly. There is, there is no other way that this lawyer could have answered this question. He, he has answered it perfectly. It is on the money. It's, it's, on, it's on, I want to say on point, but I don't think, I don't, that might just, never mind. Um, on point. It is straight on the money. It is a bullseye. It is a direct hit. He could not have answered this any better. There is nothing else that he could nor he should say. And what does Jesus tell him? He confirms it. This is how you inherit eternal life. Do this and you will live. I don't know if you guys know the passage of the rich young ruler, but when I was reading this, my mind took me to this passage where the rich young ruler goes up to Jesus and asks Jesus, Jesus, how, how do I inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the law. And he says, I've done it all. And then Jesus calls him out and says, well, actually, there's that one that you haven't done. Go and sell everything that you have. Our minds should be taken to, to this same event where where Jesus is, is saying the same exact thing. Love God, love, love your neighbor. I mean, this is the, the way to eternal life. This is the way to inherit eternal life. And I know many of us right now may, may be a little uncomfortable because you may be thinking to yourselves, Max, this seems kind of works-based. Love God and love your neighbor. So what must I do to to work towards that? Now, we'll come back to that at the end. But what I want to show us is that those who inherit eternal life will always love God and their neighbor. It's never separated, but intimately intertwined with one another. And so what Jesus does is he talks about a parable. The Good Samaritan now the good Samaritan may may be the most known parable amongst the world. We even have organizations called the Good Samaritan, all about being a loving neighbor and and, and uh, extending a helping hand isn 't it? But why does Jesus say this parable? You know what 's interesting is that although the Although this lawyer had asked Jesus, or answered Jesus perfectly, isn't it strange that he wasn't satisfied with his answer? He was actually taken back a bit. He wasn't satisfied with, with his answer. He, 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 we, we see this because he goes on to ask Jesus, but who is my neighbor? He asks a, a clarifying question. Now, you don't ask a, a clarifying question unless you're unsettled. You don't say the perfect answer to a, a question and then ask a clarifying question unless something is unsettling to you. Something is unsettling this lawyer. And so he asks this follow-up question. Well, well, then Jesus, who is my neighbor? It's interesting that he would ask who is my neighbor and not how to love my neighbor or how to love God. He's trying to justify his actions. When it comes to loving your neighbor, have you ever tried to justify yourself? Let's see what a couple of people do here. See, there, there are four main people in this parable that we see. The first person that we see that Jesus talks about is, is a, a Jewish man who um, is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is about a, an 18 mile walk. This would be about from here to a little past Wrightstown. Or a few miles before Oshkosh. And this was a dangerous journey to make by yourself. Most of the time you would see people making this journey in groups of people for the fact because it was, so, it was such an isolated area that robbers would camp out like, like Jesus is, is saying here. And so for whatever reason, this, this Jewish man had to make this, this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho by himself. And what happens is he falls among robbers. And they steal from him. They strip him naked. They beat him and leave him half dead. Now, now if that's not a bad day, I don't know what is. And most likely, by all measures, this man is going to die Because of the elements. And so Jesus goes on to then say. But just by chance. A priest walks by. One of the most would have been righteous men in Israel. At least seen as righteous. He would have known the law of God. He would have known how to love his neighbor, he would have known the things to do and not to do. He was seen as this righteous and powerful man. He was the one, the priest was the one who would go into the temple and make sacrifices to God. But yet what we see this priest do is he gets on the other side of the road, looks at this man and says, I don't have time. Not only do I not have time, but what would people think? Not only what would people think, but this guy might make me dirty and unclean. And so just in case if if he is actually dead and I do touch him and I do make myself unclean and I ruin my reputation as a priest, I might as well just leave him to die. And this is supposed to be one of the most righteous men in Israel. So then Jesus goes on to say about another man who comes, a Levite. A Levite would have been the priest's right hand man. He also would have known the law extremely well. What he was supposed to do and not do. And yet we see the same thing happen. The Levite gets on the other side of the road. And looks at this half dead man. And ignores him. These are supposed to be the morally good people. The people who know How to love God as well as anyone else. And yet they ignore this man laying on the road, half dead. But then Jesus talks of a third man, a Samaritan. Now, if you're not familiar with Samaritans, Samaritans and Jews absolutely hated each other. They were the worst of enemies. This Samaritan would have seen this Jew laying on the ground as an enemy, and if out of the three, any one of those would have said to leave this guy for dead, it would have been the Samaritan. But yet, that's not what Jesus is illustrating here. Jesus goes on to say that the Samaritan looked at this half-dead, naked Jewish man and he had compassion. Which this word compassion here sticks out to us. This, this should be an indicator. In, in the original Greek, um, this word compassion is the same word that is used when Jesus looks at people and says, I, uh, He looked at people like... A shepherd sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on him. This is the same compassion that Jesus has for sinners. For you and for me. And what we are seeing is the Samaritan looked at this Jew and had compassion like Jesus has compassion for us. This is this is important because. Because this man had compassion far too often. What we think compassion is, is looking at somebody and feels, feeling sorry for somebody. But that's not compassion. Compassion and feeling sorry for somebody isn't the same thing. Compassion will lead to action. And that's what we see happening in this passage. Is when this Samaritan man had compassion on this Jewish man, this this enemy of his. What he did was he he got off of his animal. He he went down. He bound him up in cloth. He he um, cleaned out his wounds and he put him on his own animal and started walking to uh, uh, Jericho. He brought him to an inn. He he nursed him for the night and then the next morning we see that this Samaritan gave two denarii. It would have been a day's wage. And then he leaves in the morning saying, Look, if there's anything else that this man needs, give it to him, and I will come back and repay you. And so Jesus asks the question which of these threes proved to be a neighbor? Martin Luther King Jr., while he was teaching on this passage one time, said that there were two questions. There are two main questions that are asked here. The first question is this The priest and the Levite, when they were walking past this man, asked the question, What would happen to me if I helped this guy? How much time would it take for me to help this guy? How much of an interference would it be to me if I helped this guy? How much money would it take to help this guy? What would happen to me? But the Samaritan didn't ask that question, did he? The Samaritan asked the question like this, as Martin Luther King Jr. says, he asked the question, what would happen to this man if I didn't help him? Loving our neighbors as ourselves is hard. I mean, you can look at the few verses and see all of the time that the Samaritan man put into helping this uh, Jewish man. But he asked the question, what would happen to this man if I didn't help him? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain that when the Samaritan woke up that morning, he didn't, he didn't have a checklist of things on there, and at the top of his checklist was to love my, uh, my neighbor as myself, and right under, underneath that was in brackets that said, look for a half-dead naked Jewish man on the side of the road. I'm sure that this interfered with his day and his travel and his plans quite a bit. But yet God isn't asking us to be concerned about our needs. He's asking us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And, and when that Samaritan man is, is walking by, he's asking the question, what would happen to me if I was just laying there half dead? Surely by the next day I would be dead. I wouldn't want that to happen to me, so why would I want that to happen to my neighbor? Do you know what the most fascinating thing about this passage is is that in verse, we'll, we'll start in verse thirty six and end in, in verse thirty seven. When when Jesus says this, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Jesus never answered the question of this this lawyer of who his neighbor was. Let me put it like this: Jesus, Jesus does not. Answer the question of this lawyer of who his neighbor is, Jesus is telling this lawyer just be a good neighbor. Love those that have been created in my image, like you would want to be loved. It can be exhausting. But yet, we are still called to love mankind with this type of love, willingly and sacrificially. But yet, we see that we just don't uh, inherit eternal life by just loving our neighbors. We're to also love God. And what we see next is this, this perfect illustration um, uh, 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 as Luke is writing this orderly account. He, he adds in this, this part. He, he tells this because what he wants to do is he just doesn't want to leave us with what it looks like to love our neighbor. He also wants to show us what it looks like to love God. And so we come to Martha and Mary in, in verses 38 through 42. And we see that when Jesus entered a town, He entered Bethany. He, he was looking for a place to stay. It was probably Him and His disciples. So it was, it was Him and 12 other people. And so Mary and, and Martha, Martha lets them into uh, her house with her sister. And, and now... Mary and Martha are, are serving Jesus. But yet what we see are two different things happening here. We, we see Martha running around doing all of these, these chores. It seems like that she's loving her neighbor by serving them. She's, she's probably cooking dinner. She's cleaning the house. She's finding other houses for the disciples to stay in. And this can be the confusing part of this. Because it could seem like Jesus is saying, love your neighbor and serve your neighbor. But in this part it says, well actually don't do that. But that's not the case. See, Martha is is going all over the place. She is distracted. She is serving too much. And what we see is maybe one of the most interactive... in my opinion, what we see is maybe one of the most interesting interactions in all of Scripture. We actually see somebody try to um, uh, guilt trip and uh, manipulate Jesus. I don't know if, if you picked this up while we, we read through it, but, but Mary, what Mary is doing is Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus just listening to him. She's just taking everything that Jesus has to say in. And Martha then comes up to to Jesus. And and I want you to to listen to this. She She says this, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? See, Jesus, if you really cared about me, then you would care that my sister has left me just to do all of these tasks alone. So, so Jesus, if you really cared about me, then, then tell Mary to come and help me out. <laughs> that is, that's, hey, that's really bold. <laughs> but what do we see Jesus say? Martha, Martha, Martha. Martha. <laughs> Jesus says, Martha, Martha. See, when a name was said two times like this, it was one of the most intimate ways that you could say a person's name. It expressed deep love. And so what Jesus does is he looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha. You are anxious. You are troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary, Martha. Mary, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. We live, we always have lived in a world that values busyness. We love to busy ourselves with things and tasks that make us anxious and troubled. And some of those things can be good things, like serving. Are they distracting you from sitting at the feet of Jesus? Are they distracting you from growing in a deeper, deeper relationship with the one true king? Can you hear Jesus calling out your name right now? Max. Max, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But what I want you to do right now is just sit at my feet and listen to me. Far too often we idolize busyness. Busyness gives us a sense of importance, does it not? When somebody asks you how you're doing and you tell them, well, I've been busy, but it's been good. And I'm saying that because that's what I normally say. (laughs) Because it feels like you're doing something important. It feels like you're accomplishing something. But here's the question that needs to be asked. Is it distracting you from growing deeper in your relationship with Jesus? If you have not sat down to meditate or to read in the word and to grow in your relationship with Jesus because you are busy, you idolize busyness. If you love to serve and even love to serve the church, but yet you are never taking time to grow in your relationship with Jesus, you are idolizing, serving. And Jesus wants you to sit at his feet. See, loving God and loving your neighbor aren't mutually exclusive. They're intimately intertwined. And this is how I would like to to conclude us this morning. Why do you think this lawyer was troubled so much to ask a clarifying question to Jesus? It's It's the same reason why the rich young ruler was troubled and walked away. You see, when... This lawyer had answered this question perfectly of how to inherit eternal life. He knew the verses that came before love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. He knew that in Deuteronomy 6 2, when Moses is being told by God to love the Lord your God this way, that they were to keep all of the commandments. And this lawyer knew when he answered to love your neighbor as yourself that in the beginning of Leviticus 19, Leviticus 19 verse 2, that it says to be holy or to be perfect for I am holy. See, the reason why this lawyer needed to ask a clarifying question is because he, he knew that, that what he was supposed to do is... He was supposed to love God perfectly and love his neighbor perfectly. And immediately he realized that he can't do that. And so he needed to clarify, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? If my neighbor is a smaller pool of people, then maybe I can do this perfectly. And so here's the answer to the question. How do you inherit eternal life? Love God perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly. But here's the problem. Think back to think back the past 7 days. Last Sunday at 9:54 a.m. Have you loved God perfectly this past week? Have you worshiped any Idols? Have you taken the Lord's name in vain at all? What about loving your neighbor? Have you slandered or gossiped against anybody? Have you coveted anything? Have you borne false witness and lied? It doesn't take long to realize that you and I are helpless. Which means there is no possible way for us to inherit eternal life because we cannot love God and love our neighbor perfectly. And this is why this rich young ruler is asking this clarifying question. But this is the hope that's offered to us. Is that there is one who would love, their, love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind and strength perfectly. And there is one who would love their neighbor perfectly. And we see that in Jesus. That Jesus loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind and strength perfectly. By obeying every aspect of the law. By obeying and submitting to the will of the Father, we see Jesus loving God perfectly. And we see Jesus loving His neighbor perfectly. We, we can look to uh, and use the Good Samaritan as the, the greatest example in this passage. Jesus is the Good Samaritan in this passage. And we are the, the Jew that's laying there for dead. We've been beaten up and tattered by sin. And yet what Jesus does is he looks at us with compassion. And instead of walking by. He gets off his animal. Crouches down. Wraps us up. Washes our wounds. Nurses us back to help. But it doesn't end there, because he had to go through something far greater than just putting somebody on a horse and bringing to them, bringing them to an inn. What, what Jesus did, the ultimate way that Jesus shows us he loved his neighbor perfectly, is by dying for us. Jesus took our sin for us. He died on the cross for us. He, he took the wrath that was for us. Showing the ultimate way to love your neighbor perfectly. And so what this means for us then is that for those who believe in Jesus' life and death can actually love God, can actually love their neighbor and it's not because I, I now love my neighbor in order to, to try to earn some brownie points with God. It's not I'm, I'm trying to, to earn God's affection so I need to love my neighbor and do good things so that way he sees me. But, but instead what happens is, is out of my heart because I know what Jesus has done for me. It's affected me so much. It has stirred my affections and emotions and, and love for Him so much that I want to sacrificially live for God by loving my neighbor. And so, brothers and sisters, you cannot love God and your neighbor perfectly, but Jesus has for you. Jesus has loved God and his neighbor perfectly, so that way when you believe in Jesus and put your faith in him, the Father sees the complete and perfect work of Jesus' life and works in you. And then he gives you the Holy Spirit to accomplish this great task of loving God and your neighbors. You see, far too often, we think that loving God and our neighbors are exclusive. We we don't have to, to love both. But what we fail to realize is, In order to truly love my neighbor, I must truly love God. In order to truly love God, I must be loving my neighbor. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do it. Because God has not left us alone, but given us a helper. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have done for us. Father, would you please just allow us to love you more. And that our love for you would be poured over to loving our neighbors. How hard is it sometimes? And I I just want to ask for forgiveness. Because it's so easy um, for, for me just to love you. It's so easy just to, to intellectually come to you and say, yes, I, I love you. Or to just kind of go through the motions. And it's so much harder, it seems like, to to love our our neighbors. And so what I ask is that you would cause us uh, here uh, to, to love our neighbors as much as your son Jesus has loved us, if that's even possible. So Father, please, I ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing.